we take a moment to pray together as we prepare to hear the reading of the scriptures and then hear what God has to teach us through it. Let's pray together. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, our hope is in you. When we wonder where the strength and wisdom to receive your word will come from, it will come from you. You will be our glory. You will be our endless praise. When I wonder where the wisdom that comes after a week full of wrestling before you in your word. The answer is, our hope is in you. You are the one we put our trust in. Our hearts are contrite, humble, eager to learn before you. Meet us. Our hope is in you. In the name of Jesus, we make this in all of our prayers. Amen. So, question for you. Do you remember Thessalonica at all? We talked a little bit last week about that city. We're ending a series today of taking a quick tour through several letters of the New Testament. And um, the last two, last week and today, are, are what we call the books of First and Second Thessalonians. And uh, they're letters written to a church in a city called Thessalonica. That city is up here. And uh, the Apostle Paul took three missionary tours that are recorded in the book of Acts. And on the second one... He branched out into this area uh, that today would be part of modern Greece and a city then called Thessalonica, today Thessaloniki. And uh, he wrote two letters to the church there. The first one he wrote immediately after leaving the city because there was intense persecution breaking out against the followers of Jesus in that place. Here's the modern map that corresponds. You'd see... Thessaloniki here, and uh, so we're talking about the Apostle Paul trying to reach people who live in nations today of Eastern Europe, Greece and Albania, Macedonia, Bulgaria, Kosovo, Serbia, those areas. In, in Paul's day, all of this area was called Macedonia, and what we today call Greece was called Achaia. What was happening that caused him to need to write a second letter? A new challenge had arisen since he wrote his first letter. So by the time Paul writes this letter, he's traveled down to Corinth, this part of southern Greece, and he's writing a letter to say, um, I've heard that you've come to believe that what happens here in this world doesn't matter much. So if you read the later chapters of 2 Thessalonians, you'll see that some people had stopped working. They'd stopped investing in what's happening in this world. Why were they doing that? Well, because 
some people were telling the Christians at Thessalonica that Jesus had already returned. Jesus has already come back, and this is kind of all there is to the story, and why is there any point in investing further in what happens in this world? Hey, Paul, you taught us about Jesus' birth, his life, his crucifixion, his resurrection. You taught us that he would return. You taught us that there would be a second coming of the Lord, and some people are telling us that's already happened. Now, we don't know exactly how that was being communicated. Maybe some people were saying Jesus' resurrection was his second coming. Now, that's, that's not true, but maybe that's what some people were misunderstanding. Or maybe they were saying Jesus' second coming was spiritual and invisible. Maybe the day of Pentecost when Jesus sent the Holy Spirit was the second coming. And that's, this, is, this is as good as it gets. This is... What's happened? Jesus died, he rose again, and when I die, I'll go to be with him in heaven, and that's it. End of story. No more chapters. What happens here in this world just doesn't matter much. And so Paul writes a second letter to say, no, there are more chapters in this story set right here in this world. There are things unfolding here that do matter very much. There's a chapter in the story in which Rebellion against God is going to reach its final and most powerful expression. And there's a chapter in the story in which Jesus is going to return to fully restore the goodness of life in this world. And so we're about to hear how Paul answered this question. Does life in this world matter much? Are there still events yet to come that mean that how we live here and now makes a real Difference. Let's listen as Jordan reads for us from Second Thessalonians. Today's scripture reading comes from Second Thessalonians chapter two, verses one through eight. Concerning the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ and our being gathered to him, we ask you, brothers, not to become easily unsettled or alarmed by some prophecy, report, or letter supposed to have come from us, saying that the day of the Lord has already come. Don't let anyone deceive you in any way, for that day will not come until the rebellion occurs and the man of lawlessness is revealed, the man doomed to destruction. He will oppose and exalt himself over everything that is called God or is worshipped, so that he sets himself up in God's temple, proclaiming himself to be God. Don't you remember that when I was with you, I used to tell you these things? And now you know what is holding him back, so that he may be revealed at the proper time. For the secret of power of lawlessness is already at work, but the one who now holds it back will continue to do so till he is taken out of the way. And then the lawless one will be revealed, whom the Lord Jesus will overthrow with the breath of his mouth and destroy by the splendor of his coming. This is the word of the Lord. I, uh, verse 5 makes me chuckle a little bit. Don't you remember that when I was with you, I used to tell you these things? Well, apparently they didn't remember, right? (laughs) Don't you remember that um, in 2016, we did a three-week series from 2 Thessalonians? Yeah, I don't feel so bad. (laughs) Right? I mean, like if the Apostle Paul spends time teaching this stuff and and people can't remember it, then... um, yeah, I don't, I don't feel so bad. You don't, you don't remember. Um, so, so some of the 
ground that we'll plow this morning, uh, we plowed before. But it's okay. We need a refresher because sometimes we don't remember. Uh, I want to get to kind of a, a very tight focus in what's happening in this part of God's Word. To, to get there and make sense of it, though, we have to start really big. So think of kind of settings on a camera, right? So we're zoomed way out, and then we're going to zoom in a couple times to get where we really want to be. But um, let's, let's start with the big, big picture. Very quickly, what's happening in these verses of Scripture? First, we're being told not to listen, right? Don't listen to false reports about the return of Jesus. That's what the first two verses of the text are all about, concerning the coming of our Lord Jesus and our being gathered to him. Don't listen. Don't become un, uh, easily unsettled or alarmed by a prophecy or a report. Another way to translate that would be speech. Or a letter supposed to have come from us. So Paul is known for writing letters to churches. And Paul is saying, look, if you get a letter that says it's from me, that says Jesus already came back, it's not from me. Stop listening to these false reports about the return of Jesus. Why? Well, because first, the rebellion will come. The rebellion will be led by the man of lawlessness. Verses 3 through 7 are about this. Now, the fact that Paul can refer to it as the rebellion means that he expects everybody to know what he's talking about already. It's not just some rebellion or a rebellion. It's the one that we already talked about. You remember, right? No, remind me. Okay, the rebellion. Um, A final effort to overthrow God's authority over life in this world is coming. That has to come first. It will be led by what Paul calls the man of lawlessness, the supremely lawless person would be another way to capture this. Many people in uh, Christian churches are more familiar with another name given to this figure by the Apostle John, the Antichrist. So four times in John's letters to various churches, he refers to this human leader of this final attempt to throw off God's authority over life in this world. It's an attempt as old as the Garden of Eden, something we've been working at since then. But a final expression of that will come. It will be led by the Antichrist, the man of lawlessness. And then, once that has happened, Jesus will return. And he will complete his victory over evil. Now, Put yourself in the shoes of somebody reading this letter for the first time. Oh, man, Jesus has already come back, right? And, and the Apostle Paul says, no, 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 don't, don't rush ahead. Things are going to get a lot worse before Jesus comes back. That's kind of a bummer. In fact, that, that could kind of make you panic. What this really powerful uh, person who who is um, kind of like Satan's equivalent of sending Jesus into the world. If Jesus comes into the world to, to bridge the gulf between God 
and sinners, then this antichrist, this opposite of Jesus, this man of lawlessness will come and lead people in a way that that creates greater division between us and God. That sounds pretty frightening. It could sound pretty terrifying. So it's important for us to think about the movie Aladdin for a moment. Right? You've seen this movie. The genie is giving one of his speeches. And, and there's this moment that always makes me laugh, right? Where he swells up and becomes so huge, like bigger than the universe. And he says, phenomenal cosmic powers. Itty bitty living space. Right? So all of this power he gets shrunk down and trapped inside the little lamp. And um, that's what I think of when I read about the return of Jesus in verse 8. The lawless one will be revealed. Whom the Lord Jesus will overthrow with the breath of his mouth. Most powerful representative of evil that we have ever seen will come into the world at some point. Looks like he has phenomenal power. But he will be unmasked and shown to be very small in comparison with the power of the Lord Jesus who will say, go away. What comfort there is to know that we don't have to be frightened of where the world might go one day because the Lord Jesus will come and he will establish peace in this world. He will come again to this world and he will finally overthrow complete victory. Every evil power that distorts the Father's vision for goodness of life in this world. Yeah, life in this world still matters and Jesus will come And he will make it good forever. Biggest picture. Let's zoom in a little closer now. Don't listen. Jesus can't have come back yet because first the rebellion has to come. And then Jesus will return. So we ask the question, well, why hasn't the rebellion happened yet? Why hasn't the man of lawlessness, the Apostle John would referred to him as the Antichrist. Two names for the same figure. Why hasn't that person come yet? Well, if we zoom in a little bit more, we hear the answer. Because right now, there is something holding him back. Verses 5 to 6 say this. Right? Don't you remember I used to tell you these things? No, we forgot. Remind us. You know what is holding him back so that he may be revealed at the proper time. Okay? Right now there is something holding him back. And verse 5 is described as a power. You know what is holding the man of lawlessness back. I'm sorry, that's verse 6. And in verse 7, it's described not as a power but as a person. Verse 6 says, you know what is holding him back. Verse 7 says, the secret power of lawlessness is already at work in the world, but the one who now holds it back 
right? So two times we're told that this lawlessness is being restrained and held back. And the thing that holds it back and the one who holds it back will one day be taken out of the way. Those are the Apostle Paul's words given to him by Jesus. That's what apostles do. They're messengers and spokesmen for Jesus. They tell the church what Jesus wants the church to hear. So, Paul, tell the church this. One day, this power and this person will be taken out of the way. Okay, are you thoroughly confused yet? Yeah. (laughs) Again, I'm not going to feel too bad about it, right? Even if we said all this before, you remember, right? No, you don't remember. (laughs) What is this power that holds back this great rebellion and the man of lawlessness? Who is this person who holds back the great rebellion and this lawless person? Well, there's a lot of debate over this because there aren't, this is the only time in the whole Bible that this kind of language is used. Similar concepts are found elsewhere, but there's room for some debate. And I'll tell you after you know, about 20 years of study, here's, here's what I'm convinced the Apostle Paul is talking about, that the, the what, the power that holds back this rebellion that will try to throw off God's authority over life in this world, that power is a principle of justice. It's, it's the concept that there is a difference between good and evil. That there is a difference between peace and chaos. That there's a difference between happiness and sorrow. And God has instituted authority figures, rulers, and entrusted to them the responsibility of establishing that principle of justice. Romans chapter 13 talks about this. All civil authorities, we would call them governments. In the first century, you would have named that authority under one person, the emperor. So when Paul says, the person who holds back the rebellion will one day be taken away, he can use one person to summarize the embodiment of what government is supposed to do. What are rulers and authorities and government powers supposed to do? They're supposed to restrain evil and hold back injustice. And they're supposed to order society such that chaos isn't constantly erupting. And they're supposed to rule in ways that diminish suffering and increase people's ability to enjoy happiness. And one day, all that's going to go out the window, Paul is saying, One day, all of that will be pitched overboard. And then the rebellion will occur. The man of lawlessness will come. Right now, right now, God's concern for life in this world extends to his calling rulers and authorities and governments 
to be under his accountability for making sure that evil doesn't run out of control. Now, am I saying that all governments should be Christian governments? That, that, that the Bible should be the constitution of the United Kingdom or of the Ivory Coast? No, not saying that at all. Read Romans chapter 13, what it has to say about the civil authority. And it doesn't hint in that direction at all. But it does say that God wants life in this world to flourish. And he wants people who have authority to restrain evil and to promote peace and pull back on chaos and to restrain injustice and promote justice. Now, of course, you and I don't have to be told that governments and leaders and rulers and people who have authority fail to do that in many, many ways. But at least the concept that that is a good thing to strive for is for the most part alive and well in our world. What Paul is anticipating is a point at which even that concept has eroded And nobody's committed to that anymore. And that he describes as this rebellion led by the man of lawlessness. So that means that we have a job to do, you and I. We have to prepare for the rebellion. Will it happen in our lifetimes? I do not know. The Apostle Paul doesn't say anything about that. He says it has to happen before Jesus returns. He doesn't say when this is going to occur. He says that a power of lawlessness, verse 7, is already at work in our world. Has the man of lawlessness come? Paul says, no, not yet. But the power of lawlessness is already here. So we have a job to do, which is to identify what this rebellion and lawlessness looks like and do everything we can to resist it as we wait for the return of Jesus. Do we know exactly when that will occur? No, we don't. Our job is not to be ready if we think it's happening tomorrow. Our job is be ready whenever it happens. So, that's where we want to zoom in and ask the question, how do we recognize this rebellion? How do we resist lawlessness? What's it going to be like then when the man of lawlessness comes? That will give us an idea of what it's like already as the power of lawlessness is at work in our world And the more we know about this, the more we will know about Jesus. Because he is just the opposite of everything that this man of lawlessness will stand for. So, take a deep breath for a moment, right? Because... Sometimes churches like this one aren't known for talking very openly and honestly about the return of Jesus and what will happen before it comes. And so when we do talk about it, we can feel pretty overwhelmed 
we can feel like it's all doom and gloom and bad news. It is not, remember, by the breath of his mouth and the splendor of his coming, the Lord Jesus will win a final victory over everything that is evil. So everything from here on out is good news. Even though we have to take a deeper look at what evil expressed in the form of this rebellion led by the man of lawlessness will look like. It looks like this. God is small. He has no right. So listen. God is small. Verse 4 says, The man of lawlessness will oppose and exalt himself over everything that is called God or is worshipped. Hey, all of you, stop worshiping your gods, stop worshiping your gods. All of those things are small. They do not deserve your attention. I do. God is small. God is small. God is small and something else is big. I don't know what it's going to sound like in the final stages of this rebellion, but it might sound like this. God is small and science is big. God is small and reason is big. God is small and the economy is big. God is small and genetics are big. Jesus will never talk to us like that. This spirit of lawlessness and rebellion will say to us, we have to make a choice. Either God matters or human activity in the world matters. And Jesus says, human activity in the world matters because God is so big. It's because God is so big that we should learn all we can about the world he has made. So science and genetics, yes! Learn them, do them, but don't listen to anybody who says that because those things are big, God must be small. Jesus will say, learn all you can about this world. My Father made it. And you will get to explore it for eternity. And you think we're learning some fun stuff now? You just wait until we science after the return of Jesus. You just wait until we observe this creation once it's been restored and healed. And once our minds have been restored. God is so big, we should learn to think well. So sharpen your reason. Learn to use your mind. But don't listen to any voice that tells you that because reason is big, God must be small. Jesus will never say that to you. He will say, I made you for life in this world. And to make sense out of this life in this world, you've got to do some serious thinking. So go ahead, engage your mind. Knock yourself out, but don't listen to anybody who says you have to make that choice. God is so big, we should apply his wisdom to how we think about earning money, making a living. Whatever it is we do to earn our living, God has something to say about it. God has something to say that will increase our joy as we do it. God is so big. That's why the economy matters. 
Listen to his wisdom as we think about how to earn a living, how to spend our money, how to care for neighbors in need. The economy matters, not because God is small, but because he wants to have a say in all of life. Now, the rebellion, the man of lawlessness, is not going to speak like this. Jesus is. That rebellion is going to sound like this. God has no right to tell you how to live. He has no right. He's too small. He has no right to tell you how to live. This is the meaning of the word lawlessness, right? God's laws. God instructing us how to live in the world that he's made. And the man who stands for lawlessness will say, he has no right to do that. God has no right to tell you how to live. It'll probably be packaged like this. God's will is restrictive. God's will keeps people from freedom and fullness. Right? But rest assured that this spirit of lawlessness will be happy to tell us how to live. Option one, lawlessness will tell us, live however you please because there is no good and there is no evil. Live however you please. There is no such thing as justice. Therefore, there can be no injustice. Now, most of us have done too much thinking about the world we live in for that to really be a tempting option. We might like it for ourselves, but we sure don't want anybody else to live that way. Right? You can spot the flaw in that argument pretty quickly. There are days when I would like for there to be no good and no evil, so I can do as I please, but you better not do as you please to me. So, this spirit of lawlessness has a more subtle option to say to us, yeah, there's evil and good, but the thing is, to really get good, you have to commit a lot of evil. There's a such thing as justice and injustice, and to get to justice you got to do a whole lot of injustice first. There's no such thing as peace and chaos. And to get real peace, you have to spread the chaos of war over the whole planet first. Right? It's more subtle. It's the logic of slavery. Oh, for some people to get happiness, other people have to endure sorrow. It's the logic of World War II era totalitarianism and fascism. We want good, but first we've just got to do a whole lot of evil. We want life to flourish, but first we've got to multiply death by millions and millions and millions. Did I just say that Hitler is the Antichrist? No, I didn't say that. But I did say that kind of logic is the logic of rebelling against God's authority over life in his good world. So this logic will tell us God has no right to tell us how to live, but I do, so listen to me. The man of lawlessness will say, I will set myself up in God's temple. I am God. Don't listen to God's voice. Listen to mine. Jesus will never do that to us. Jesus will never use his power and splendor 
to take away from his father's authority. Jesus uses all of his power and splendor to cause us to love the father. Here's the first proof. We say it every week in our worship, almost every week. Our father in heaven. May your will be done. May your name be honored. May your kingdom come. Jesus had the opportunity to say, stop listening to the Father. Listen to me. But Jesus never talks like that. Jesus could have said, yes, to get good, you must inflict much evil. Instead, Jesus said, to gain you good, I will endure much evil. Jesus could have said to secure happiness for some people, you must inflict sorrow and misery on many others. Instead, Jesus said to secure happiness for my people, I will let others inflict misery and sorrow and suffering on me. And we resist this spirit of rebellion. By saying, Jesus, we will always listen to your voice. We will not listen to any other voice. No matter how persuasive it sounds. No matter how convincing the arguments that God is small might sound to us. Jesus, you never spoke like that. I will not Listen, no matter how convincing the arguments become that say God has no right to tell you how to live, Jesus, you taught us to pray that the Father's will would be done. So Jesus, because we find you so lovely and so beautiful, and when power is put in your hands, what you do with it is so good that even when we want to do differently, We will sit with you at the Father's feet and say, Father, tell us how to live because it's what your Son taught us to do. And we will find that Jesus is not small. Another Disney movie for a moment, Lion King. Little Simba. The king's son, trying to learn how to roar with authority. And he's so tiny and weak, and all he can squeak out is the little, you remember it, right? Little kitten purr. And then the moment comes when he's face to face with the greatest evil he's ever seen. And he looks so small, and he looks so weak, and it looks like he's about to be devoured. And the kingdom destroyed. And he opens his mouth. And what comes out is this great, powerful, majestic lion's roar. As his father says, I will rescue my son from death. Jesus is not small. No matter who says otherwise, even at the moment of his crucifixion, he was not small. 
Because on the day of resurrection, the father roared and said, This is my son. This is the one who knows how to restrain evil. This is the one who knows how to pursue good. This is the one who knows how life in this world is meant to be lived. This is the one I have appointed to return. And by the breath of his mouth and the splendor of his coming, overthrow every voice that encourages injustice and chaos and suffering, and sorrow in my good world. This is the rightful king. You resist by listening to his voice. Can we learn to listen together? And while we wait for his return, live like people who hate injustice, And we hate sorrow. And we hate evil. And we overthrow it by enduring much hardship so that others can enjoy great happiness. That's how resist. That's the one in whose name we resist. The one who's coming, we await.